Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. On this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I talk about flow state. We define what flow is, how we came to discover it personally, and we chat about the potential to harness flow in physical and mental activities to boost performance. We chat about using flow to enhance creativity, ways to hack and trigger flow state, and also the insane benefits of training your ability to tap into flow in order to boost productivity. Definitely an interesting topic for us, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by the TFC Footner program. It's an online program we kicked off at the start of 2019 to expand our global community of humans who are spreading the message of health starting at the feet. The online curriculum is constantly evolving and it acts as a repository of content and resources that gives you up-to-date knowledge about the body and how to teach it to others. The program is also an effort to expand our instructor team and be able to meet the demand for seminars and workshops around the world in the coming years. For more info on the program, visit thefootcollective.com and click on the Footnote Program tab and you'll be able to download more info about that. This episode is is also brought to you by the Roasters Pack. Our team at TFC HQ and Auto are big fans of coffee, and this Canadian company provides a unique subscription service that delivers you three great coffees to your door each month and also gives you the story behind each of the craft roasters that they come from. Check out theroasterspack.com and use the code FOOT at checkout for 7 bucks off your first, month's, your first month of any subscription, which start at 27 bucks a month all in, including shipping and taxes. So it's a pretty solid deal. Last but not least, this episode is also sponsored by our travel partner, Nook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear for our seminars and workshops. They make super high-quality cases in Canada that keep your electronics safe during travel, and you can check out what they offer at nanook.com, N-A-N-U-K.com. That's it for sponsors, so let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies, starting at the feet are the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Hey folks, Nick and Mike here, back for another episode of Shop Talk. Uh, Today's topic is one that's interested us both very much in the past few years, and one that we're continuing to kind of learn and and especially trying to apply and hack it, and that is flow state. Uh, It's a topic, you know, that I think at the start can seem abstract. I think everyone's experienced flow state, whether they realize it or not. Um, so today we want to talk about, you know, defining flow state, how it can be applied, the elements required to enter flow state, um, and really just introduce it because this is a topic that we'll uh, probably have several episodes on uh, in the future. But the big thing today is just introduce flow state and talk about why you should care about flow state, how it can add value to your life because it's not you know a lot of people think that flow state might be reserved for people that are doing extreme sports um or athletics but it also applies to -to day-to-day life and can actually give you a lot more enjoyment and and fulfillment out of out of just day-to-day life by trying to find ways to enter flow state so let's start with just talking about what is flow what is flow state yeah define it yeah so flow is basically defined as an optimal state of consciousness so it is a state of consciousness that we can get a hold of and it's where we feel and perform our best um so oftentimes people will talk about being in the zone mm-hmm. um so that's something that really they're 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 talking about being in this flow state i think everyone it's, said that too in the being in the zone or being like losing track of time this is i once you start to kind of play with the words of how to describe this this very kind of abstract notion um people are like oh i've done that i've been there before yeah, it's you know? like when we're totally focused on the task at hand, forgetting everything else, um, full attention and absorption in whatever we're doing, um, time dilation. We'll talk about the the list of components, but these are things that um, you know time either flies by really quickly or goes slowly. We're we're in that kind of really fully focused state. We're not thinking about other things. We're not thinking about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ego vanishes and all these things. And it, it's a feel. It's a feeling. And it's also accompanied by a certain state of physiology. And we'll talk about the physiology of it later in terms of the, the neurochemistry um, and parts of the brain that are kind of shutting off and starts that are parts that are lighting up. So it's actually you can measure it um, these days neurochemically and via fMRI and imaging and stuff like that. So it's it's a real state that people can get into. And it's just mm-hmm. a matter of there's there's certain triggers that can actually help promote us. And there's certain ways that people talk about hacking flow. Um, so one of the things that you know, that people can do is learn how to hack it and get into that, that state. Um, so they can, so they can be there more often. And we'll mm-hmm. talk about why that's important, but flows is, 
it really is this kind of like innate superpower um, that that's something most of us, like we talked about, most of us have experienced for brief times and seems to be this very flighting thing where it's like, oh, I don't know what it was, but I was in this state of mind where, you know, I was hyper-focused on something. And people actually find, like I, before I started reading about it, I found it very difficult to describe and to kind of uh, articulate what flow state actually is. You know what it is, but you don't know with words, right? It's like this very inanimate thing that you that is based on experiential feeling, um, but very hard to describe. It wasn't until I started reading Chicks and Mihai that it was like, okay, this is actually, the science is insane on flow now. because, yeah. And I think the biggest reason for that is because it's such a powerful weapon, right? Whether that's for productivity or for um, especially extreme sports. I think... Um, What's his name? Stephen Collar talked about that. That was like a big aha moment for him as a journalist was following these extreme athletes and seeing what they were doing and the speed and rate of improvement and and um, and the things they were doing now that they were never able to do before. Yeah, I used to personally, I used to get that when I was skateboarding as a kid. Um, so there's the, the days you would just actually it's like in one day, if you were in that in that state, you could make these huge breakthroughs and progresses and you could like learn new tricks and then also learn tricks on top of that yeah and, and like it's like oh my god i just made like a month's progress in that one day because i was yeah. just feeling it and it's like why was i feeling it that day i was just i just i don't know and that's the thing it's like a lot of times you don't know why you're in that state but you yeah. you're in it and then it's like you want to take advantage of it and then it's not always there um and you're constantly trying to find ways to get back into that state right mm-hmm. like if you could make a month's worth of progress in one skate session you're like shit what did i do to get to there and and i think so let's go through some components of flow because i think the science has done a really good job of breaking down the elements required essentially you can learn how to hack flow state if you if you really want to research it and learn about it you know whether it's youtube videos whether it's reading uh you know chicks and mihai has his book literally called flow uh he's got one on um creativity too which basically just applies um flow state to creativity it's called the psychology and discovery of invention Uh, i'm staring at it right now it's the only reason i remember the name um but it it, you know i think the components of flow so the first one is intense and focused concentration in the present moment and Mm -hmm. i think focus you know if there's one word that uh encapsulates flow i think it's focus right you have to be on you have to be non-distracted and hyper-focused on something so much and and i think that focus doesn't come from an extrinsic source right you're not you can't just do something and zone in on something because you're going to get paid to do it or you have to intrinsically want to do something you have to have a passion or desire or this like deeper motivation to to do something beyond just some external reward and Mm -hmm. so the first one is yeah intense and focused concentration in the present moment And I think one reason that people find it so hard to get into flow is because being in the present moment alone is a hard state for people to get into. There's so many distractions. There's so like Instagram alone is a is a massive barrier to flow. Uh, You know, technology in general, um, the way society is engineered with so many so much activity and you know the the average workplace, um, you have noise, you have other people talking, you have constant this constant grabbing of your attention from technology from these companies that are literally getting paid to steal your consciousness to steal your attention and and mm. captivate your attention so i think that's that's a big one that people find it hard to get into flow and it's yeah, a big if barrier if we're talking about the the components of flow i mean that's when if you almost if you almost look back and like when was i in flow okay i was fully focused in that moment yeah um we'll talk later about like some triggers that you can actually hack to get there but that that flow follows focus is key because and that's what Kotler said um, is just it really follows the the period of time where you, where you're focused and that's if you can't get into that initial focus you're not going to be able to reach that state of yeah, flow. That's a, that's a big barrier. The next one is merging of action and awareness, and I I feel like that's fairly similar to the first kind of component, right? Like what you're doing and where your mind is are they blend together? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's very similar in that it's a state of being present in this in that moment paying complete attention giving undivided focus to the task that you're doing so that your awareness and your action or whatever you're doing are are one and the same it's the here and now so being have full attention to the here and now um and that just like you say it's the it's the presence so anything in the future is is really not it can't be present mm-hmm. um so and thinking about and in the past so that's really Again, we'll talk about the brain regions involved in that, but 
when you're thinking about the future, that's associated with even things like anxiety coming into play. Anxiety exists in the future. It's like fear of the future. Mm -hmm. So that, again, is something that is not in the equation at all when you're in the deep here and now. And I think that this next component touches on that even more. It's loss of reflective self-consciousness. So Mm -hmm. you're not thinking of what other people might think of you. You're not thinking of... Uh, you know, what happened yesterday and ruminating on negativity or, or trying to solve a problem, a yesterday problem or a future problem, you're literally completely immersed. Um, and I th- so loss of reflective self-consciousness is another component. The next one is sense of control over the activity, right? You have to you have to have this sense that you are you you have the power to control what is being done. You know how to do the activity. Um, you feel competent and capable of doing the activity at whatever level you're doing at. Um, it's almost like the let's do this thing. Like it's like I get that when I'm on the Slack then too. It's like okay, let's do this. Now. Yeah, and it's like I can do it. We and but it's like put your focus into it. Like cut the shit out. Get into this. Yeah, you so. can't. Yeah, you can't be on Instagram when you're on a Slack line. No, you yeah. can't do anything. Actually, you can't look at planes above you. You can't think of the people looking at you, it, you're literally just, okay, I'm doing, I'm going to put all of my mental and physical power into not falling off of this piece of nylon. And I think that's a, you know, that sense of, and sense of control. I think, um, so sense of control, for example, a person that tries slack line for the first time, it can be very hard for them to get in flow state. Cause they're literally just trying to learn. How does this thing even work? How does my body doesn't know how to do this? People that are looking at me might yeah. think I look silly. Um, I feel well, they don't know that they can actually do it. Yeah. So there's no sense of that, that they're in control. Yeah. No sense they're of control. In, no sense of control, but it, it's almost like you need to know, you need to know that if I'm in it and, and if I'm performing the way I know I can perform, that I'm in control of this. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you're going to be able to, to do it. Right. But it means that like, I know that if I'm in it, I can do it. So. Yeah, Exactly. The next one is distortion of temporal experience, so time dilation. This and this is a very strange one that that <laughs> I, I'm sure you've experienced. And when you get so deeply focused into something, time the the metric of time, how much time you're spending doing that, how much time is is passing by, is a metric that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I'm sure you've done something where you you're doing it for like two hours, and you're like, wow, it feels like ten minutes just passed by, and it's almost this very strange thing where the the element of time in terms of your conscious awareness simply is not a factor like your your brain is essentially trimming away things that aren't relevant based on just allowing you to put all of your resources into the task at hand mm-hmm. and so time dilation is another one of those um another one of those elements like mm-hmm. when have you experienced that yeah i mean the the surfing's an interesting one like you don't know how long it's been yeah <laughs> um, you're just out there and and again surfing's interesting because it's almost like you're there's different components to the flow. It's like this like macro flow state being out there and watching the waves. But then it's also this like micro flow state where you're in it right when the wave comes. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing equates to like, I don't know. How, I remember in Costa Rica, it was like, we went in. Like <laughs> we would never hours. finish at the same time. We're like, okay, let's go for like X amount of hours. And then one person would always go in early and be waiting for, but I think that we just need waterproof watches. The That's the be- solution. But the beauty is kind of not having watches. You're I like right, that. Actually. Like, yeah. It's just like, I don't know how long it's been. I, I just think it's been around this time and you go and you're like two hours off. You're like, okay, that's, that's cool. It does doesn't happen? really matter. It's like, if, what's the worst thing that happens? You literally sit on a beautiful beach, wait for a half an hour for the yeah. other person to finish. No, we almost exactly. have to go by like sun position. Yeah. It's like when the sun gets to here, we need to, <laughs> we need to go in. Um, and then the last one is it talks about the experience of the activity is intrinsically rewarding or what some people will call an autotelic experience. So autotelic comes from uh, is like a Greek based word. Auto is self and telos is goal. So what that means is that the activity is an end in and of itself. Right. You're not you're not doing the activity. Um, the activity is not done for the expectation of future benefit, but it's simply because doing it itself is the reward. Right, like when a when a rock climber climbs a massive wall, they're not typically doing it because they feel they're going to get recognition or they're going to get financial benefit. Climbing the actual face is the reward in and of itself. It is the experience itself is rewarding, and so I think that that's a very big one, and that's a big element that needs to be there. And you can even apply that to things like your work too. A lot of people with this autotelic personality will actually look at like even problems they have to solve in their work and they'll get like excited um about the pro about solving the problems and they're actually like 
interested in solving things right mm -hmm. so you could even say like even in a workplace you can find these states of flow and you can do these things for the intrinsic intrinsic reward of solving problems or making breakthroughs or whatever it is yeah. or being completely immersed in the create creative work that you're doing mm -hmm. to kind of make breakthroughs so it doesn't just apply to action adventure sports and um and physical feats and all of that it also applies to work but i think the action adventure sports maybe we can kind of touch on that a little bit more because that's very like it's a clear example of where flow takes place mm -hmm. and i think it's one of the easier ways using your physical body to, to actually tap into these states yeah it's like uh yeah it, it's easy to know um, because you'll actually feel it um and just a few examples is like we talked about the surfing but uh like, I don't know if anyone's seen uh, parkour these days. So parkour <laughs> so athletes insane. and parkour in and of itself is, is a new, it's kind of a new thing, a new phenomenon. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's essentially. What's the word based on? Parkour? Parkour. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's Which like, mean, a, what does that mean? It's like a French word for. I don't know. I think it's, I think it used to be done in like the natural we need, our, we need our own version of jamie it's yeah okay. i'll exactly. act like jamie <laughs> but yeah it used to be done in the natural environment now it's done typically well it can be done anywhere i like to think that i'm doing kind of natural parkour when i go out um on on uh, on some of these more difficult hikes and stuff like that but um you see some of these athletes doing like jumps across buildings uh jumps down like two-story buildings landing and rolling it out uh, backflips off buildings like crazy stuff and you're like wait a minute i don't even think humans could ever humans couldn't ever do that it's like no humans ever done that yeah. um so you're like where did this come from and the same goes for like one example is just dom dom tomato one of those red <laughs> red bull parkour athletes and i watch this channel sometimes I'm like wait a minute like he's just making these continual breakthroughs and, and it's like he's just upping the level on what humans can do from a physical standpoint mm -hmm. um on a regular basis. So it's almost like he needs to be in this flow state in order to jump across buildings, off buildings, um, walk uh, like on skyscrapers, all these things. You need to be in that state of flow. You just have to. And they'll tell yeah. you that. Otherwise, so, fear Otherwise, fear is a massive in inhibitor, right? For sure. Like you have to have a sense of competence. And, and it's one of those things. It's hilarious. You post something... You got to post cool shit on Instagram once in a while, right? Like you're competing with a lot of other competing with sports cars and girls butts and, and really entertaining stuff. So if you're getting trying to convey a health message, you got to post some cool stuff. And I think one of the things that I like to post is showing what people what the upper echelon of human potential is, right? Like mm -hmm. Dom Tomato or um, Nate Weston or Moving DJs like what these guys do is insane. And I think. People will say, oh, that's so reckless or that's dangerous. Or I remember posting a video of you walking on a railing mm -hmm. next to flowing water. And people are like, that's so reckless. You shouldn't be doing that. It's like, that is completely within your realm of competence. That's exactly. not extreme for it's you. It's in that sense of control that we talked about. Because yeah, the person exactly. doing it knows that they can do it. Yeah. The person who's watching on Instagram thinks that that's crazy because they know that they could never do it. Exactly. So they're just kind of projecting that like... That's reckless, but it's like, well, it's reckless for you because if you tried that right now, you might die. But the person <laughs> yeah. doing it is like, this is right in my capabilities. Yeah. And if and I know if I'm really, really focused right now, I can kill this right now. Yeah. So that's the key with all of it. So you're always kind of walking that fine line knowing like, I know I can do this, but I need to be in the zone to do this. Yeah. And that's where that progress made. So progress is made. And the action to venture sports, like crazy progress is made. And I think that the flow amount allows for massive breakthroughs in performance. So it allows for these like micro breakthroughs. But when compounded over time, it, you know, it equates to this like crazy exponential, exponential progress. Yeah. So you see, we were talking about the skateboarding example too, like Tony Hawk in the first 900. And now there's kids doing uh, 1080s in the X Games. Yeah. So it's like, well, what's going on here? And, and that happens in so many different uh, well, action events. Even uh, even the four minute mile, right? Mm -hmm. Like Bannister, when he broke the four minute mile and did three fifty nine, it was hilarious too because doctors were literally saying humans cannot run below four minutes for a mile; they will literally die if they do that. Mm -hmm. And then Bannister did it, and then within like months after that, you know, within a very short period of time, high school kids were breaking the four minute mile because it was mm -hmm. like this mental barrier had been broken, and now people were like, "Oh shit, that can be done. Perfect. Let's control, see what else yeah. can be done." Yeah. So back to parkour. The word parkour comes from. Parcours du combattant, which is literally it means obstacle course. The classic obstacle course method of military training uh, proposed by George Hebert. So it literally, they're taking obstacle, they're turning the modern concrete jungle that we've, this artificial concrete world that we've created, which is like cities, and they're turning them into obstacle courses. Mm -hmm. And some of the stuff that these guys are doing is so, is so high level and so insane in terms of the body awareness, the coordination, the balance. Um, it just like it it blows my mind to watch these guys. It really is very inspiring, but it's also like 
you never see the iterations. That's the thing. People never see the bales. People never see all the small steps that these that guys went through in order there. to get to that stage, right? You're seeing the, the results. You're not seeing the process. And I think that's where people are like, oh, I can never do that. It's like, well, that guy didn't start by just doing that. No. That guy started by like jumping a foot and then and jumping And Flo got feet. him in that too. So Flo yeah. was present at every stage and Flo is what allowed him to get to that point. And we're seeing that, that end stage. Um, but I think that Flo has been, like I said, it's been really responsible for a lot of these things. And you didn't see humans doing like, triple quadruple backflips off cliffs like in the you know in the 1200s or anything like i don't know maybe they <laughs> maybe did. did but but probably I, I, not though. a lot of these sports is like holy crap humans can actually do that and that's uh, one side note that's like the paradox of of today's day and age it's like we're living in a in a time where we're we're losing touch with our physical bodies and what they can do for the most part but then there's this small subset of people on the opposite extreme who are actually pushing what our bodies can do to absolute extremes and going way past what we even thought we could do. So it's like most people are kind of losing touch with the bodies. Select few are really pushing the boundaries. Yeah. It's interesting. And so like one of the main guys uh, in terms of flow, we mentioned him before, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, which his name, the way his name is spelt is it would not lead you on to pronouncing it like that. But uh, um, literally, uh, most of the alphabet letters are in his last name. It's very crazy. Um, But why is this relevant? You know, like the average person listening to this would be like, okay, you got these extreme athletes doing crazy, crazy stuff. You know, why is, why should I give a shit about flow? And I think, you know, one thing that Csikszentmihalyi went into is flow is fundamental to to well-being and overall life satisfaction. And Mm -hmm. he did a study, a very powerful study, and showed that people in the world who scored highest in overall life satisfaction and well-being were also the people with the most flow in their lives. And it wasn't flow like jumping off cliffs, but it was entering these states of complete absorption in the present moment and and hyper-focus on the tasks that you're doing. And literally, it can be anything. It can be writing an essay. It could be writing a blog. It could be going for a run. You know, we'll go through ways that you and you and I have discovered to get into flow. It could be a project you're working on at work, right? Instead of looking at it and being like, oh, God, I got to put together a spreadsheet. It's like, I'm going to get into the zone and I'm going to crush this freaking spreadsheet. You know, and I'm going to do of- it as best as I can. And, and I'm going to be as focused as I can during this period of time. So it is relevant to everyone. And in fact, mm-hmm. connecting with it and understanding it can actually give you a much better sense of purpose and happiness in your life. So that's why I just wanted to mention that because I think it's easy to get off on the path of like people doing crazy stuff. But for the every average everyday person, this is very relevant. It's universal is one of the things he found. So it's fundamental, but also like that universality of it. And I remember reading his book and he would go around even to, and he would find factory workers who would have some of these same characteristics. And even in, there was factory workers who had this deep satisfaction. He said, what is it about that? And he would find that they'd actually get into this flow state even at work and doing, even doing like repetitive tasks, they kind of get right into that this zone um, more than others. And they would also have, be the people who had much higher life satisfaction and overall well-being than, than other uh, counterpart workers. So like you say, it shows up in a lot of different places. It's universal, but it's also kind of this fundamental component. Well, okay. So you, you text me probably, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, and you're like, let's do a podcast on, first we talked about doing one on creativity and then it switched over to flow, which will mm-hmm. encapsulate creativity. But the minute I started kind of putting down notes and writing stuff down, I realized that one of the ways I get into flow every day is doing dishes. Really? I literally will look at like a sink full of dishes and I'll be like, I'm just going to zone in and do these dishes as best I can. Mm-hmm. I think it's just part of OCD tendencies of like just trying to do things to the, ext- not to the extreme level, but doing them as best I can. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I just realized, yeah, like t- for like 15 minutes a day, I get into flow by just doing dishes. And so it just goes to show that you, it's all perspective of, of how you frame a task that you're doing. I have to do these dishes. I may as well do them well. So there's not shit everywhere all over them when I put them in the cupboard. Why wouldn't I just focus all of my energy for that short period of time to get it done as efficiently and as well as possible? And, and, and then you probably look at them after and you're like, holy shit. And it's like time went by super quickly yeah. probably. And you're like, I just crushed that. And yeah. all the, they're right there. And that kind of relates to that. Like there was a McKinsey study on, on flow and it's a top executives in flow are five times more productive than those without flow. So, yeah, so it powerful. shows up in in the workplace too yeah. with dishes it can show up anywhere but it's like when you're in that state it's like your your productivity goes through the roof and you don't even know it and then it's like boom all of this just happened 
Um, Let's put five times productivity into context. So if you're an executive, one executive gets into flow when they go into work, they get they immediately get into flow and stay in flow. And obviously, it's fairly tricky. You have to be very very skilled and and basically engineer a workplace that is free of distractions. But one executive goes in, and when they're in the workplace, they're in flow. The other one is not. That executive that's in flow can work a Monday and take the rest of the week off and get just as much done as the other person that works Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So in one day, they can accomplish five days worth of work if they're in flow. That is very powerful, mm-hmm. right? So finding flow, even to a small extent in the workplace, can allow you to accomplish the same amount of work, probably to a greater level of uh, competency or, or, or better quality um, in less time. And it just exactly. leaves you more time to do other things. That's the thing. And it's like, we're not expecting you to be in complete flow state for a full day, but engineering little bits and pieces of it increases that productivity in like spurts throughout the week, which would yep. make your whole week more productive. Um, okay. So I want to talk about the, the physiology and just get more into the science behind it a little bit. Yep. Um, so one thing is that, I, um, that I've heard a lot from Kotler talking about um, in some of the flow researchers, this transient hypofrontality concept. Yeah. So that's kind of one of the, it's it's the brain's division of resources and energy. So it's where the brain kind of uh, devotes its energy to. So hypo means like less frontality is the the frontal cortex, specifically prefrontal. the prefrontal cortex. Yeah. So the the prefrontal cortex is really kind of that that overall. It's like. A, it, it it contains the ego, that sense of self that like really, you know, watching everything, um, thinking about the future, long-term planning, thinking about the past, thinking, thinking, thinking. Um, time sense is also time the prefrontal sense. cortex. All of these things that we talked about uh, that aren't equated to flow, that prefrontal cortex is really kind of the the master of that. So transient means like we're, n- we're only in it for a small period of temporary. time. Um, so it's temporary. So it's a de- temporary deactivation of the prefrontal cortex. And it doesn't fully deactivate, but you're actually shunting all of this blood flow and resources to other areas of the brain. These areas are more responsible for for focus on the here and now, attention, uh, body sense, all of these things that you're not necessarily thinking about when you're in this like highly prefrontal state. So like the feel of things, but really it's just kind of this deep attention and it might be, the attention might be to different things. If you, if you're doing an action adventure sport, it's that body feel. It's that even it's a vision, it's hearing, it's all of these senses that we need to really hone in on. Well, that's all brain. That's all brain activity. Right. And the prefrontal cortex is also the home where your inner critic lives, right? Mm -hmm. Like your sense, what causes anxiety is you criticizing yourself or you caring about what other people think about you. That area gets shut down too. And one thing that um, uh, Kotler talks about, he, you know, this this whole ten percent brain use myth, right? Like we only use ten percent of our brains. So I think when you talk about flow, people are like, well, you're just using more than ten percent. When the reality is, like you said, with pre, um, you know transient hypofrontality, you're actually using less. But you're using a different area and you're bringing resources away from the area that thinks of things in the future and in the past and creates anxiety and creates criticism. And you're putting it into this kind of channel that you can focus all of your attention to your senses, to the task at hand. Um, And so you're you're not uh, using more of your brain, you're using less, but you're... You're you're using more of one specific area and less of the general stuff that's really not relevant. So you're basically just getting out of your own way, getting out of your own way, shut down non-essential functions and focus 100% on the task at hand, which is why you can achieve so much in so little time is because all of your resources are there to that one spot. Mm -hmm. So that's that's kind of that. You know, talking about a, from a brain perspective, from a neurochemical perspective, and again, that's highly associated with, uh, with what's going on in the brain. There's this massive dump of uh, neurochemicals. Um, the one, the main ones that were that are talked about are norepinephrine, dopamine, amandamide, um, endorphins, and serotonin. And the flow signature is that all five of these are released to different extents. But those are the, by the way, those are the most powerful neurochemicals uh, that your body produces. Mm-hmm. Like even anandamide, anandamide. Um, interacts with THC receptors and Ananda in Sanskrit, which is like this old Indian um, kind of language, actually means joy, bliss, or happiness. Mm-hmm. So, Anand- like this dump of these five neurochemicals is like this is the reason people get addicted. This is the reason Laird Hamilton gets depressed when there's no waves. This is the reason people seek flow, and it's almost like this this 
whole this constant attempt to seek these flow experiences is because you are seeking the natural high that your body gives you when you're in flow you're seeking the physiology associated with it and it all comes down to these neurochemicals so it's that feel the feel good from the the actual chemicals in your in your brain and body Um, but that's also what allows for these other things so the same chemical dump that you get also allows your brain to perform better when these when this dump is present and that's where the neurochemical dump allows for better things, uh, things like learning. So, so making new connections in your brain and taking things from that short-term uh, memory to that long-term memory, really associated with having this kind of flood of good neurochemistry and being in this state of attention and focus. So you can actually use this whole, these, all these conditions that, that flow state gives you to create these, these associations. Another thing is that creativity. So the, the creativity is really associated with with having these chemicals present and making these connections between different things. So lateral thinking um, is one of the biggest things in creativity. So taking things you, you know already and then associating with other things that you're, that you're, you're thinking about too. So it's like making these weird connections that you wouldn't have normally thought about. And that's all kind of, and and you'll see that when you're in different states, you're like these, you have these aha moments, Mm -hmm. right? And I think a big part is just, first of all, the state you're in and underneath the state is all these neuro, this neurochemistry. Yeah. I, I think people misunderstand. I don't think people know what creativity is, like know how to, if you ask the average person, they know what creativity is, but they don't know how to actually define it with words, right? Like, um, a Kotler or, um, yeah, Kotler said it well when he was like, it happens when the brain takes novel information and connects older ideas to that novel information to create something new. And it's like this this state of mind that, and like you said, <clears throat> like we talked about before, the creativity boosts that you get by being in flow state actually trickle over beyond that that um, transient flow state, right? Mm-hmm. So you might do something that gets you in the flow state, it boosts creativity, it boosts your ability to create these novel connections. And then like a day later, that creativity, like it's almost like an afterglow of creativity. It lasts beyond the time that you're in flow state and can can allow you to like solve problems or, or um, create you know creative solutions beyond that flow state time. It's very very powerful. Um, yeah, he was saying like up to one to two days, but I would say even even in that like latency period after, it's like I'm not necessarily going to be creative when I'm on a slack line, but the the that kind of state I'm in right after is where I might be more creative in that like especially that hour or two afterwards yeah um that's where i'm gonna really so and that's what we'll talk about at the end is like can we use this flow state to you know choose activities that get us there and then really plan ahead so we're doing you know work that we want to be doing right after it so we can make use of this this physiology that we're in and let so chicks and mihai you know a lot of people call him the godfather of flow because he really was the the you know, a lot of people knew about flow, but he was really the science guy that put it on the radar as some as a tool, you know, in the world of business, as a tool, as a um, performance booster in the world of sports. But three things that he said about flow was number one, flow is definable. So we, I, hopefully we've done a decent job at defining what flow is. Um, number two, flow is measurable. So you can actually measure how much time, you know, they have all these, um, you know, whether it's an fMRI or these kind of like, <laughs> I saw a video of someone had like, almost like a swim cap with these receptors, with these sensors in it. And that could actually detect the patterns that showed that someone was in flow when they were doing like simple problem solving on a computer screen in an experiment. And then, like you said before, flow is universal. So the fact that it's definable and it's also measurable means we can now talk about, um, you know, we can get stats on flow. So you said uh, flow, you know, flow amplifies productivity in those executives. Um, one stat that, uh, he had said was that flow amplifies creativity by 400, 700% flow, uh, learning rates during flow increased by 400%, like four times, four X the speed of learning, right? Like if you read a book, you can either read it in four hours or one hour. If you're really hyper-focusing on what you're doing and, and really intrinsically actually, motivated to consume that. That's actually a good. Exa- the book is a good example because I find if I'm, for some reason I've, I'm on a plane and I'm reading a book, I'm. I'm like, okay, well, there's nothing else to do right now. Let's get, and I can like crush a book on a plane. Yeah. 
And that book would have probably taken me like a month or two just <laughs> yeah. doing little spurts True. of it and me like daydreaming. And it's like having to go back in a page and like, did I even cover this? So it's like, if you're in the zone, it's like you can crush things and you can like take a lot more from it. And I specifically remember the books I've read on planes a lot more than, than ones that I've just kind of been chipped away. So the memory the was also affected. Oh, for sure. Because it's like you're storage. just totally, totally in it and like immersed mm-hmm. in the book. So that's interesting because I didn't think about that. Very cool. Yeah. And so... I think, um, so let's talk about, based on the fact that flow is hackable, right? Let's talk about flow triggers because flow does have triggers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think one of the biggest ones is that flow follows focus. So this intense focus on a a specific task you're doing, and it could be the dishes, it can be on a slack line or a balance beam or running, whatever it is. Um, Let's talk about individual triggers. And then maybe after that, let's talk about um the flow channel too mm-hmm. in terms of so, skill to challenge ratio so there's 10 that uh, that i have listed here and i'll just list them all we don't have to break down every one um and a lot of them are due to this the fact that they demand attention and focus like you mentioned already so passion and purpose is one of them so being doing something that you're actually you know that you give a shit about you give a shit about um risk novelty complexity and unpredictability are the next four so so that's kind of that. They're all saying the same thing. It has to be something that has some component of risk in it. I think it will risk, helps. Risk is just one of those things that if for when you were bouncing on that railing and there was water, like very quick flowing water beside you, you had no choice. But yeah, I think exactly. risk literally just forces you. And w- this will make more sense if we talk about the challenge skill ratio because risk is only um, is only a good thing if you feel competent mm-hmm. in 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 what you're doing. And it doesn't necessarily need to be like all 10 of these things don't necessarily need to be present, but yeah. it, these are things that can help. So if you want to use specifically risk, that can be one of the things that triggers your 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 need to get into flow. The novelty is another thing. So something like new, it's like, oh, I've never been here before. I better concentrate and focus mm-hmm. on this. This is a new situation. So it's demanding my attention and focus. Complexity, kind of the same thing. If something's complex, you're like, okay, I, I better... I better focus on this because things are complex right here. Unpredictability is kind of along with those things too. It's like if something's not predictable, you need to really hyper-focus on it to really pick up these like, you know, pattern recognition and and all of these things and really get into that zone. Um, The next one would be deep embodiment. So so just like physically getting into something, like feeling something, being embodied in something. Um, Getting immediate feedback is another one. So so something that, that quickly tells you if you're in the on the right track or the wrong track and something as simple like like say a slack line is very simple it's like if you're falling off the feedback is you're falling off or you're <laughs> yeah. staying on it's so immediate. it's like it's very quick and immediate <laughs> yeah. and you know how you're doing based on that um then uh, clear goals it's that's kind of one uh, hand in hand with immediate feedback so something that it's like yeah i know what the goals are it's very clear to me what i need to be doing right now uh and i know if i'm not reaching those goals if, or if i am um creativity and pattern recognition and then the final one i have listed is the challenge skills ratio is another flow trigger so maybe we can kind of dive off to that challenge skills ratio and what it means is that one of the triggers to flow can be choosing an activity that is not too hard or not too easy so the challenge versus skills ratio is, is critical. We've mentioned that a few times, but there's something called this flow channel. And this flow channel is is basically when you have this perfect balance of a challenge that's going to make you get into flow and it's going to challenge your skills and it's going to demand the best out of you. But also, the, if, if it's too hard, it's going to create failure um over and over and over yeah. it's going to create anxiety and then you're it's just it's too much so it so has to be too, kind of below that yeah. but it can't be too easy because if it's too easy you're just going to you're going to it's going to create boredom and you're just going to you it's not going to demand the best out of you too so you'll you'll just be like going through the motions and like, ah, i can do it. and knowing that like i can do that, i think there's that sense of like i know if i'm in my perfect state i can do this mm-hmm. Right. Because if there's something too easy, it's like, I know I can do this if I'm just like with my eyes closed. If it's with your eyes closed, then it's too easy. Right. Yeah. That's a very, and I think a couple of things with the flow channel. So yeah, if it's too easy, it's boring. If it's too hard, um, it's frustrating because there's constant failure. There's a, a anxiety. Um, and the flow channel, that, that optimal channel is a place where it's slightly beyond your current potential. Right. Mm-hmm. When you look at something, you're like, that's going to be challenging. 
I know if I'm at my best state, I have the potential to maybe achieve that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if I push myself, everything's right. I can do that. But right now that's really difficult. And I maybe can't do that right now, but I can, I, I see the the fact that I can potentially achieve that. And I think another thing about the flow channel is it's dynamic, right? Yeah. Because what, it, what challenged you just beyond your capability today, next week might be easy. So you need, you need this way of constantly scaling, having, um, you know, clear goals has to challenge you beyond your current capability. And if you're getting more capable, if you're improving as time goes on, this is going to change. And so you need to have access to these multiple levels, whether that's a difficulty of a hike. I think that's one of the beautiful things about bouldering that I've discovered recently Mm -hmm. is like, okay, once you realize what these friggin' colors actually mean in terms of difficulty (laughs) levels, which took me way longer than it should have to realize. um, Once you realize that you're like, okay, I'm gonna start with this. That was really hard. But you know, that was really hard last week. And now this is actually like easy. It's not as enjoyable because it's easy. I'm going to go on to the next level. It's and almost once... where you like, you pick up where you left off to, to yeah. some extent. Because um, once you know you can do like the easiest level of them, it's like almost you don't even want to go there right away. Mm-hmm. You'll go like, I might you might do a little bit of warming up and stuff, but then you'll go to like, ah, oh, I know I left off there. Then you push it. And then it's like, like you say, it's once you make the breakthrough, then it's like, oh shit, that's next in sight. So once you realize what those colors look like also, you realize how insane some people are. Yeah. Where you're like, oh my God, I'm struggling with this color. This is four colors up in terms of the difficulty <laughs> level. And that person is just strolling through that. You're like, what the hell? Um, yeah. And I, I think so this flow channel this concept of the flow channel i think one of the biggest reasons that you know we've really locked down on this whole concept of balance beams right is you know i think the average person they're like what's the big deal about balancing on a piece of metal and i think one thing is that number one the effects you get by improving your hip stability are very beneficial right a lot of people have poor hip stability because they sit all day they have their feet can't really act like sensors because we deprive them of their ability to do that with shoes that have cushioning or take us away from the ground so Getting better at balancing on a piece of me- on a round piece of metal does a lot of good things on non flat ground. On non flat yeah. ground. So, with that said, something that's really good for people how do you how do you engage people to want to not only do this task or, or or do this challenge, but actually want to do it repeatedly, right? Want to constantly improve. And I think it really it one thing that I look at the beams is it makes flow attainable to the average person, right? It has extremely immediate feedback if you fall off the beam you're failing Mm -hmm. so it gives you immediate feedback as to whether you're improving or not it has clear goals and this is where this whole beam training system that we give to the people that buy a balance beam from us comes into play it's like okay this is the easiest level these are the constraints you know balancing on one leg for one minute for 60 seconds without looking down at your feet that's level one very clear goals very clear immediate feedback and when you can do it you then need to have you need to always be in that uh, flow channel right like once after a couple days of you know a couple sessions of working on it, you're like okay well balancing on one leg is child's play now I, I this is way too easy giving people always a, another level up another level up in difficulty so that there's always a challenge so that they always have access to that flow channel um there is an element of 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 risk right you don't want to fall off but it's also not a high cost risk where you're falling off and you're going to break your leg you're literally touching the ground two inches away um and i think it's very interesting because when you lift a beam up off the ground, even two feet, you increase mm-hmm. the risk and it is way harder, even though it's the same balance beam that was an inch off the ground. It's crazy. It's that's what I was going to say. Like that risk is a real driver. Although we, you know, you want to keep, keep away from risks that all it's up to you. Like risk is subjective. R- risk is subjective, but you see the slack line. Like you've watched that free solo slackliner dude. Yeah. And it's basically like slackliners <laughs> will take it from like, two feet off that like two feet off the ground and then they just like what makes it harder the same slack line can be made so much harder just by raising it up two feet raising it up two feet raising it it across (laughs) yeah raise it across a small cliff raise it so it's like okay same slack line risk higher flow so exactly like you said so i think um and we talked about those flow triggers that you talked about are individual flow triggers and we won't get into it a huge amount but there's also group flow triggers because i i think and this isn't something that I really saw a whole lot about. Um, although Collar does talk about it, you know, being like one single extreme athlete will get a very, you can make different improvements, like significant levels up in, in level of improvement when you have a group of people doing something together, right? Like when, mm-hmm. when I work on a slackline or I, I work on a beam, 
it's very different from when we go out and do a session because I feed off of what you do, right? Mm. It's a prime example of the slack line was at your uncle's cottage. Okay. We're walking back and forth. Like, okay, let's see how many reps we can do of walking back and forth of the slack line. And, um, someone goes and they get like, they screw up a bunch. And then one person goes and they get two or three lengths down. And then the next person gets two or three. And then one person goes up and gets like 18 back and forth lengths. Yeah. And you're like, what the hell? And then you go up and you get 18. And on the 19th, you mess up. Yeah. And it's all mental, right? I didn't know I could walk back and forth 18 times until someone else showed me that they can do it. And then I was like, oh, shit, that's possible. Okay, I'm going to do it. And then the mental barrier is then getting to that 19th rep. So this group energy that you yeah. get by being in a similar skill level to other people being finding your flow channel which, which might be different right i might be at a different level than you but when i see you pushing yourself to a level that's slightly beyond what i what i have seen you do before i'm like okay i might not be able to do that but i'm gonna push myself beyond where i think i'm at right now because i just saw someone else do it so and this, even just seeing it's it's like multiple factors like you're seeing first of all that's possible but second of all you're just witnessing somebody else in flow. Yeah. And that alone is like, you Very can tell inspiring. when somebody's like, you're like, oh shit, he did that because of the state he was in. And uh, one more thing on that slack line is like, I don't know about you, but when I was going back and forth, the limiting factor was not necessarily my physical body. It was my, um, it was, it was my focus. Yeah. So, so you'd have to, every length you went across, it's almost like you touch the tree at the end. You'd be like, okay, I have to get, you almost wanted to let go of your focus, but you're like, Okay, I gotta keep my focus. I gotta keep yeah. my focus, and it was just a hard mental activity to do. It yeah. was a, it was really hard mentally, not even physically. So another example, cold exposure. Mm-hmm. When you, me, and Jeff went in the water, went in that that cold ass river when I was like two degrees Celsius. That watching everyone else get into basically you're in flow state. You have to be. You have to have complete control and complete presence with your breath. With just all you care about is not freaking out. Mm-hmm. Being around other people that are doing that allows me to do that task for to endure the cold for way longer than I would if I was just by myself. Mm-hmm. So I think, but anyway, in terms of group triggers, the big thing that the big utility of that is um, in the form of you know collaborative cooperation to a shared goal. So like a company, a business. If you engineer flow into your business, the productivity increases and the focus increases, which results in dollars and increased revenue, increased profits can be insane. And so these group triggers, just to mention a few, are number one, shared goals, shared risk, a sense of control. So being able to control what you're doing and not being told what to do. Blending egos is another one they talk about. So instead of having individual egos, you blend it all together so that everyone is working on this kind of common ground and open communication was another big one. And I think that shows up. That's a really obvious one. When everyone's communicating openly and honestly, and everyone's on the same page, everyone feels comfortable. You know, it almost open communication in a group setting almost helps to eliminate this hyper frontality, right? This thought process of always thinking, Oh, is that person approving what I'm doing? Am I doing something that I shouldn't be? Blah, blah, blah. If it's open communication, no one has the anxiety of whether they're stepping on someone else's toes or they're doing what they're supposed to. Everyone's just doing it right Mm -hmm. in the moment, doing it. It's a shared goal. This is where we want to get to. And in order to have shared goals, you also have to have good communication. So it really, you know, as a, as a, as each of us being business owners, I think these, you know, and people that just want to kind of seek optimal function are always trying to seek optimal function, optimal performance, challenging ourselves. Um, I really think that this whole concept of flow and how flow gets applied. So let's finish off by just talking about how we apply flow. But this is something that we're going to constantly continue to learn about. So that's why there will be future episodes on this. And hopefully we get better at structuring our thoughts and giving hopefully more tangible advice where people can actually use it. But you know, let's talk about how you get into flow. Like, what are your favorite favorite flow-inducing activities? So, I think we could talk about small doses of it versus large doses. Yeah. One of the larger dose things I like to do is go on, like I said, challenging hikes would be... Now, some of it is like, what can you do feasibly based on where you live and all of that? Yep. So, like, I really like if I, if I took a step back, things like surfing, snowboarding... Things that are like, you know, full day or half day activities that that I'm in it like for long periods of time Mm -hmm. because it's like you're building on it and you can really get into that state. Um, So that so really those like kind of action adventure sports would be it for me. Now, on a on a micro level, I think that the combination of the beam and the slack line um, would be 
really like easy tools that I can even the beam like or uh, the beam you can do in your house so you yeah. can do it like anywhere you have access to it anytime and then like a slack line is not that much harder barrier to entry wise too you can go to a park or something and maybe a little bit more barrier to entry but but um again you, you get into that it forces focus and it trains me specifically to know what the feel is when I'm focused which yeah. is very interesting. So when I go up to it, I'll be like talking with friends if we're doing a group session of the slack line. And then it's like, when you go up to the slack line, you have to, it's, it's hard to explain. You have to change your state and be like, okay, it's time now. It's time to do this. Cause I'm not, I can't be over there with, with the friends talking about them and making jokes anymore. Yeah. Time to do this now. Cause if you're still kind of in that jokey state and you go up, you're going to fall. So your performance is, is really um, what, what dictates your performance is your ability to focus. Yeah. So I will use the slack line or the beam to really get these small doses and also combine it specifically with music. So I like really taking, cause music alone can do it for me. So if I really hear like a, a song I like and I'm, I'm kind of blasting, it the combination of movement in some variety yeah, whether too. it's balance or just general movement plus music really does it for me so i will um for some reason when i'm on a beam or a slack line if i can have that music there it's like my body's kind of in that rhythm of the music as i'm going and that is kind of like a, a double whammy for me so i agree and so like the way you're talking about it is going on a slack line actually especially in a group setting where you're, you're doing a session with people it tunes your ability to control your mental state Right, because I every you, time I do a session yeah. with you, I see it. When you stand on a sock line, you're literally your breathing changes. Mm-hmm. You're, you you start to. to breathe with like this cadence that was not something that you were doing before, and essentially that's your way of funneling your attention to just breath and physical awareness. And what's crazy about it? I don't know if you've, if people are, t- if you're really focused on it, and my brother's like this too. If I'll even like say shit to him as he's on it. And there's no, he doesn't even there's no know. response. He's, he's no, in his own world. He, there, you can't even hear people who are right beside you yeah. if you're in that I know, state. It's very, so it's very cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, so that's kind of what it demands. It's like, how quickly can you get into the state where you're not even focused on any sound? Nothing. There's no other things. You're focused on that. So I think that for me, it really is like small doses of training me to get into that. And then my, the challenge that I want to get better at is how can I like take that feeling and apply it to can I take the feeling without the slack line and get yeah. into it? Is that possible? Is it possible to with um Can you trigger that state without trigger, that stimulus? Yeah. And I think it's yeah. like little doses, the more you do it, you can kind of like feel like, oh, that's the feel I need. Yeah. And it's this like I like breathe out and I'm like, okay, here it is. And it, it's like, can I do that before I do a, a presentation? Can I do that? Can I get into that state before I do activity A, B, C? So I think if you can take it, take the feeling of walking up to a slack line and knowing like, okay, I better get into the zone right now and then applying it elsewhere is one of the, the goals that I'm going to be working on. Yeah, and I heard I heard some, I can't remember who it was. It might have been Joe Rogan, but someone talked about this, um, about flow state in the context of stand-up comedy, right? When you're doing some sort of performance, or it could be a musician, but I'm pretty sure I heard someone talk about it in the, in the context of stand-up. And I've tried to apply the things that they talked about where it's like, do you feel prepared? Do you feel competent? And if you do, if you know you've put in the preparation, right? Like that, I think I always get a little bit nervous before seminars because I just tell people, because I actually give a shit and I put, you put pressure on yourself. And I'm sure you're the same when you give a workshop. You put pressure on yourself because you care about how, what you deliver, right? But if you know you put in the preparation, you know you know the material, and you're there to help people, and these people are captivated, they paid to come listen to you, that is this kind of energy that allows you to deliver something that it's basically a performance, right? Mm-hmm. And even back to this whole music thing, you said that music helps you get into this kind of state because your body kind of tunes into the rhythm. This is why we put music in all in the seminars, right? This is why, like, I feel that during movement, I I love, there are times where I just love nothing, right? So you can just tune into the movement you're doing. Like, for example, when I go for runs now, I don't listen to music because I like just tuning in and just thinking of my breath, thinking of my body. But there's other times, like when I do a beam session, 15 minutes, I'm, I have like a specific set of songs that I find just trigger my brain, just get deep into it. I don't know if it's like the BPM rhythm or whatever it is. It's the beat um, of the music for me. It's the feel of the music. Yeah. It's not necessarily like the the words. Of the, like sometimes I like... It's the feel of it. Even like the the beats of like 
gangster rap and, and it's like even regardless of what they're saying is like yeah. that that the beats for yeah, certain i agree things, and you're I like agree. oh shit and then you just moving to it or sometimes it's a different it's more of like house music that that so you like you say it's more like the feel and that like i think it helps with that deep embodiment you like feel the music and it helps you get into the and i think that part of it you know yeah so that's a big reason we put music in the seminars and in the in the movement and kind of hands-on portions but i think another element of music is when there's a common song like when everyone is listening to the same piece of music everyone is is kind of aligned like you get everyone aligning to this beat that's, that's in nice. the background and i think this cohesiveness of like the shared experience is part of what gets people into the state of just you know sl- I don't think I don't know if people are always getting into flow during the seminar, but for some of the drills, like that foot tracing drill, you look at people and they're hyper focused on what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think the music allows them to just, you know, tune into the moment, hear the same music everyone else is hearing, and not care as much about what other people are are thinking. Right? If you're completely tuned into what you're doing, you're probably realizing that people aren't looking at you, whether you look you think you look foolish or whether you think you look unskilled or whatever. Because everyone's doing the same thing and they're focused on their own bodies. And I think that's mm-hmm. a very powerful barrier to take down for people to just be able to explore movement without, you know, overthinking of what they look like when they're doing it or what their squat looks like or how their balance is because they're just like, I'm, like they're zoned in. Like that dance floor effect. Like if you're, I think that's fun. It's a funny part. Like you add. Dance is another one. You add uh, alcohol to some people <laughs> and alcohol plus music. Yeah. And you see that they're. I think it just promote, and I'm not saying drink alcohol, but for some people, it just like opens them up to like being on a dance floor and just kind of like moving and stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas if so, if you put a lot, the same people in, um, a lot of people become very self conscious when they're uh, in a situation where um, they're, they're dancing, to dance, they're and, moving, but it also affects their ability to dance. It's like when when you're, somebody's really dancing well, they have to not be conscious of people watching them. Yeah, and I find that it's it's interesting that way. And it's like, it's weird because if you put music on with yourself, like let's say you're in even like a basement, your your basement and you put music on, um, <laughs> there's even a component of self-consciousness that comes into play until you realize like, wait a minute, no one's even watching me. <laughs> yeah. But it's like once you, even if you're alone and then once you can get past that, then you can start to kind of flow. Yeah. But you feel weird just doing it because I think that part of your brain is like looking at yourself. You're like, what are you doing right now? Yeah. And it's like, you're looking silly or this whatever. Damn, the judgment so, brain. Yeah. They're always judging you for what you're doing i think what's that saying dance like no one's watching that's like a very powerful uh metaphor to just yeah just let loose like number one people aren't judging you in the way that as much as you think they are and even if they are who gives a shit Mm -hmm. you know it's like yeah it's one of those things where you have to i always tell people like you know cannabis makes people anxious right and it's like all you're doing is tuning into the fact that you already care way too much about what people think about you this is just exaggerating that feeling that you are you always have at a baseline but it might be sub threshold and it's like using cannabis can sometimes be a way to train yourself to not give a shit about what people think about you because mm-hmm. number one you think they're talking about you or thinking or judging you way more than they are and number two you shouldn't care because it's like it's liberating and it gives you freedom to not to not have that conscious self critic telling you that what you're doing is silly or what you're doing isn't right or whatever. And once you get rid of that and you, and, and you can train that and, and basically force yourself to acknowledge that and, and know that it's a silly way of thinking. It's a very powerful tool to let you do things that you wouldn't otherwise to let you go onto the dance floor and just set loose and have a great time without really caring that other people are, are judging you. And it's, it's funny because yeah, people powerful. often are judging you for not dancing. As yeah. opposed to being <laughs> yeah. People are like, Oh look, he's not even partaking. Like, yeah. So anyways, exactly. So anyway, so, Hopefully that gives a good intro on flow state, you know, allowing, I think the best way to get better at uh, triggering flow state, you know, number one, you got to know it's relevant. If people have a better life satisfaction and overall enjoyment by being in flow state more frequently, it's probably in your interest to learn about flow state. And I think the best way to, um, to allow yourself to enter that state more frequently is do your own experiments, find, recognize what flow is right? This, this sense of a loss of time, this hyper-focus, uh, this intrinsic enjoyment in the task you're doing and create your own experiments to try and trigger flow. That could be balancing on a beam. It could be balancing on a slack line. It could be doing some sort of challenging activity that is a bit intimidating and feels a bit risky, but you know, you can do it if you work towards it. And the consequences of failing are not dire, whether physically or whatever it is. Um, and you just need to rediscover, you know, you need to number one, realize the importance of that state, 
um, and prioritize trying to spend some time in it. And then number two is just get better and better at recognizing it and also getting better at triggering it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you talked about, you're trying to figure out how to trigger the same feeling you get on a slack line when you're not on the slack line. And that comes by just doing that activity frequently mm-hmm. and seeing, okay, what, what elements were, you know, were part of me getting into the state and how can I mimic those in, um, work or in writing or in whatever, or in, in giving a seminar or a workshop. So anyway, and do, try, do shit that's enjoyable too, because like, yeah. I think we're just all focused on, you know, productivity, like you just need to do stuff that you actually find fun too. And it's like, I feel good when I do that. So if it's weird that I think a lot of people feel like guilty with just doing things that they find like pleasurable. And, uh, so it's just important, uh, to just, add these into your life not only for the the added benefit of them helping your your productivity on the back end but also just that it's fun shit it's fun shit to do while you're doing it because yeah people feel bad doing things that aren't directly giving them productivity in their work life but they don't realize that taking 25 minutes or half an hour out of doing something physically productive for work doing something that's enjoyable and changes your state of mind boost your productivity when you come back and do the Mm -hmm. stuff that you need to do right it's not it's not actually a sacrifice to do something you enjoy it's actually promoting productivity when you come back it's just you have to be able to see the net positive instead of just seeing oh i'm doing something that's not productive per se but can actually be a very of a huge benefit beyond just that moment in time exactly so anyway hope that gives you a good overlay of flow stay tuned for another episode down the road um when we continue to learn more about flow state different ways we get into it um anyway we'll catch you next time